It's Tuesday, July the 18th, 2023, and let us gather together to experience the goodness of God. I'm Pastor Dre Comstock. We begin this week uh, with our scripture, Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9 and verses 18 through 23, and then a piece I wrote entitled On Free Will or the Art of Blowing It from Time to Time. I'll then be joined by Pastor Emily Larson and Anthony Malo to talk about scripture and church buildings. But first, a reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, and then continuing on to verses 18 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while, and when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is one who hears the word, but cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, another case sixty, and in another thirty. We had a wonderful vacation Bible school this week, except for the part that I messed up. Most of our kids currently attend the Spanish service, so we designed our VBS to cater to their needs. Unexpectedly, six English-speaking teenage young ladies also showed up. I didn't have a specific job for VBS, so they became my group. We had enough English-speaking adults sprinkled around that they could do snack and craft with everyone else, but I led the lesson and game side for them. These young ladies were new to our church, and I wanted to give them a good experience. At this, I failed. They would tolerate my lessons for a short amount of time. They did the same thing with the games that I prepared. Eventually, they would get bored and wander off. They didn't like the food that our kitchen crew cooked. They would express it. Even if they asked for a specific game, if you didn't play it the correct way, they would declare it not fun and seek out greener pastures. By the end of day three, my patience quotient had run out. I called a group meeting and tried to talk to them about respect and behavioral expectations. They failed to see any issues and simply repeated that they hadn't done anything wrong. The next day, they didn't return. I blew it. I feel terrible about the whole thing. 
No requirement exists for them to like or appreciate what I did. My job should have been to try to give them the best experience possible. They could choose to enjoy it, or they could choose to express boredom and wander off. I can't require them to simply like everything and go along with it. Polite society constructs all these norms around pretending to like something in order to not hurt the host's feelings. We come to expect that's how the world works. Everyone, at least to your face, will tell you how wonderful it is. Instead, the young lady has expressed their real choices, their true opinions. If they sat and listened, they genuinely desired it. If they wandered off, they truly didn't enjoy it. To know true appreciation, one opens oneself up for rejection. That's the thing with choice. You can get the joy of being chosen, or you can get the pain of not being chosen. To truly trust a positive choice, the negative choice has to be on the table. One can read the parable of the sower a couple of ways. Boils down to who made the soil rocky, pathy, thorny, or goody. Did God, or the person, make the message stick or not? If God did, then a whole ton of choice gets taken out of the human condition. If the Lord makes it so some receive the message openly and others do not, then we neither choose to follow God or reject God. How real can a relationship be if you cannot control your involvement in that relationship? I prefer the version that it's us choosing to be fertile ground for the word or not. God's grace reaches out to us and creates opportunities for us to encounter God. We can be drawn in by those or choose to wander off. God may construct a system of costs and benefits for participating or not. God certainly makes a compelling offer, and to live outside of a relationship with God runs counter to humanity's core wiring. I read the parable of the sower as saying, You want to be a path and have all this bounce right off you? Go for it. Or you want to be shallow soil and never let faith take root? In the end, you do you. Or you want to focus more on the thorns of this life? No one can stop you. That way, for those who do let God's grace sink in and begin to bear fruit, God can know that that devotion, that connection, that worship comes from a genuine place. It's not coerced or predetermined. Acceptance freely given forms the bedrock of any true relationship, and I believe in a God that wants these kinds of relationships with God's creation, even as I sometimes struggle when I run into that in my own ministry. We can say yes, or no, or no and then yes, or yes and then no, or yes and then no, and then yes, and, and so on. To me, free will forms an essential pillar to our relationship with God also introduces a lot of pain. We can choose to not follow God, not have that strength, power, and redemption in our lives, and God lets us make that choice. We can choose to hurt others. We can choose to degrade our planet. We can choose to waste God's good gift. God doesn't stop us, and instead tries to pull us towards something better. That way, our yes to God can indeed be our own acceptance not an automaton's forced movement. So in the piece I just heard me finish reading uh, from uh, Matthew, it's kind of Matthew, thir Matthew 13, Matthew 13, there we go. Uh, Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, right? And we talk a lot, kind of like the, 
traditional read on this scripture is we talk about like, you know, being good soil and, and, and that is like, I don't want to like leave that out. Right. But I want us to like a lot of my thinking on this scripture, both in preaching on it and doing this is like really reckoning with why is the soil good versus why is the soil not good. And to really keep like human consent, like we, we the, Matthew doesn't have this term. This is like a modern term for it. Right. Like to keep human free will or human consent in this conversation. Right. That in the end, it is rocky because you choose to be or it's, you know, you get to be you can be the path or not. And, I you know, I I framed it in the piece that this like kind of utter failure of me at VBS to um, deal appropriately with like mildly recalcitrant teenagers. But like teenagers are going to be mildly recalcitrant. It's it is, you know, not their job to please me. Right. Like that's not the. That's not the thing. And so I wanted, like, I, and this is, like, ends up being, like, theological controversy space, I understand. But, like, I get really itchy whenever we take human free will out of the God equation because that, frankly, like, if we're not choosing one way or another, that does not actually feel that good of a God to me. Very much so. Very much so. And the, the seed part of this parable doesn't change. The God equation doesn't change in each of these. So that, that puts the change on us, the, on what type of soil we choose to be, um, on what, how much we choose to respond to the grace of God, how much we respond to um, the seed that has been planted. That, the seed part didn't change. It's the soil part that changes. It's the us, right? It's the how we respond to right. what right. is going on in our lives. Well, and it is, again, like this is theological controversy territory because like that is not, that is not the only view of how this is supposed to work, right? Like we, Christianity has this like innate tension with how much of this equation is us and how much of this equation is God, right? And at kind of at, center of that controversy is this question about free will, right? That like on on one, on one end of the spectrum, like you don't want grace to be something that you can earn, right? This is what we talked about last week, right? Like you do not want grace to just be something you can earn, right? The, my, our good friend Pelagius, which any like, Oh, we just don't need God's grace. No, you do. Right. And so some, there is, and, and like, this is not like, like obscure theology. This is like name, what I would call name brand theologians. This is Augustine. This is John Calvin. These are very illustrious names. See some like real heavy hitters of like, you know, what for me was like historical theology 501 and 503, right? Like the like two semesters of the history of theology that I had to take, right? Like one semester and in, you know, one semester ends with, you know, uh, you know, post Augustine and then soon we're picking up semester two with Calvin. Right. Um, both Augustine and Calvin land in this place where like, eh, maybe not with the free will. I don't know. I don't know about the free will thing. Maybe we're just, and this is like, you know, what it's called predestination. Right. And what predestination says is that 
this is a less than charitable read, but clearly from my essay, I'm not a predest like I'm not a predestinationist. Like I'm just and and like like not in like a how oh, that's interesting, but actually in a that sounds terrifying. Um, is I feel is, like predestination should make everyone very uncomfortable because of the fact that it does take away the free will. It takes away the choice. Um, well, I think, and that's not a relationship. I think it takes away the yeah. I think I think it takes away the goodness of God. We're not automatrons. We don't have to just, you know, fall in line and we're predestined to either love God or not or to respond to God or not. We get to choose that. Right. Right. And so, like, you know, but what they say is like, okay, and and, and I I understand step one of this. We There's the need for grace and that you can't earn it, right? And so that, like, but the next step is, okay, so even giving your life to God, well, that can't be a work. That has to be also about grace. And so free will doesn't exist and you're just predetermined to love God or not. And that's the right, that's where I lose it, right? I lose it. Like, you know, if God is the one making the soil rocky, this is fundamentally, this is not a good God, <laughs> right? Like it to me, and maybe, maybe it is my own, childlike thinking about what it means for God to be good. Um, but like God as enabler of human choice, positive or negative to me, you know, and I, you know, this plays into like also like a modern sexual ethics, right? Like a modern ethics period is, as you said, very aptly, Emily, like relationship relies on consent. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I love that it's in parable form because it just makes it so much easier for me as, as a gardener. Um, and Anthony, I know you love digging in the dirt too, but the, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Uh, it's all in about how you prepare the soil, right? We may all start off with the same hard or rocky or thorny soil, but I mean, any gardener knows that without good soil, you are not going to get a good harvest. You are going to be fighting the weeds. You are going to be fighting the birds. You're going to be fighting, you know, whatever wind or weather comes because you're not going to have those good roots. Um, and so preparing the soil, which is what happens, you know, 80% of gardening is probably, I would say, preparing the soil. Um, it is very little that's actually the planting and the watering and the weeding and the harvesting. It's all in the prep work. Um, and so how we prepare our lives, how we choose to respond to God's love and God's grace in our lives is our preparation um, for how we receive scripture, for how we have this relationship with God, how we know who God is and how God is working in the world um, because we've done the prep work, because we have done that softening of our hearts. Well, and it's and that's I also like uh, the connection between gardening and and this whole uh, you know, uh, preparation of the soil, because I've had many failed attempts at growing things uh, in various uh, sh shapes and forms. And uh, what, what I find to be really important is I can grow green stalks and leaves all day long, but actually producing fruits requires a lot of uh, investigation, hard work, preparation, uh, actually getting the fruit part to happen is, is what really becomes uh, the big uh, preparation of the soil. Well, and that gets at the, like, the ongoing nature of this, right? That this is, 
and the, you know this is ends up being one of my big like axes to grind as pastor slash theologian person is and again is we'll talk about it hopefully a thousand times on this show this kind of very john wesley like there is like respond there is some responding to god an ongoing responding to god in the form of discipleship in your life that helps like keep things growing keep things bearing fruit right this is the the my one of the most accurate ones in here like one that like I, i i see a ton is that rocky soil piece right that like okay like, it was good for a while. Like, it was good. Like, you went to church camp and you had this, like, you know, or whatever. You went on this retreat or, like, you had this, like, really amazing worship whatever. And, like, oh, my God, it's so great. Uh, but then that's where, like, to keep – to actually be good soul and bear fruit, that's where the discipleship piece kicks in so that when the, you know, when the real stuff happens, right, when the, you know, the, whether it's the thorns or whatever, like you have, you know, your, the, the roots, the, 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 you know, word of God is able to sink in deeper because you are letting it sink. You are doing the work to help it sink in deeper. God enables this conversation at all. This is, you know, this is God's grace, but you are like, doing the discipleship piece so that those roots can grow deeper because on their own, like, you know, God is going to let this bounce off you. If you want it to bounce off you, if you want this to bounce off you, it'll bounce off you. Right. Like that's the, you know, that's the consent. That's the free will piece. Um, or the free will piece is okay. I am going to participate in this process. Um, and that there are no new revelations in scripture. There's no new revelations from the Holy Spirit since, you know, the writing of Revelation. Right. Like, and that, that's really tough. Right. And like, you know, yes, God, I do believe God speaks through scripture. Right. Like, I, I really, you know, I really do. But like, we we need to understand that this is a, a living faith, not a not just a historical exercise. Right. Mm-hmm. That is like a part of this, right? Part of this is a continual process of people letting this word sink into them and becoming good soil to bear fruit, right? Like, and that bear fruit piece is, you know, making that scripture alive, us make, doing our job to be part of making that scripture alive to the world. And I think if we as a whole, as a church, as a church universal, universal capital C church, um, can get that mindset in, then that makes us less averse to change, less averse to, but that's the way we've always done it. This is the way that the scripture has to be interpreted every single time. Um, this is the way that the community needs to behave every single time. Um, realizing that innovation has a place in the church of Christ, realizing that, um, God is still at work, that the Holy Spirit is still moving in new directions and in new ways, and to be able to respond to that because you are ready with this, you know, softened, prepared soil of yeah. of being ready to receive what the Holy Spirit is giving. And and I and this is the direction I took the the kind of the preaching component, which is also on our YouTube channel, um, where this posts. Um, as well as other places, I, how all the posting is happening, it's, you know, we're, it's a work in progress. Um, but like this, this coda of like, also understand that this isn't happening in a vacuum, 
right? That your journey isn't happening in a vacuum, right? Your journey is hopefully happening within a community of faith, but also happening in a world that while I don't buy into like the world's out to get us, I just don't, that is not my perspective. Certainly we have put ourselves in a position over the past 2000 years where the world is watching us. Like that is, that is a very real thing. And we have staked a position, maybe not you and I, but like this religion that we are practitioners of have staked this position of like, here be the morals, right? Over there be dragons, here be morals. And if we're going to stake our position on here be morals, here better be morals. Yes. <laughs> right. Hold right. yourself to that higher standard. Right. Right. If like, that is your like, standard, hold yourself to it. You know, like, and, 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 you know, this builds on a lot of what we talked about last week, but when we don't do that, we are, you know, contributing to poor soil in other places, right? Um, when we don't do what we claim we're supposed to be, don't, when we are not who we are claiming we're supposed to be, that we are helping turn it, we are turning more soil into the path because they will hear this word and go, yeah, but I saw it. Like, you, you see those guys? You see those guys? Um, this is not, this is not what I, uh, this is not what I, uh, this is not what they uh, seem to be claiming. I'm gonna do anything else. Um, and yeah, I mean, literally, right? Like it is, I, you know, I, I was wa- watching some terrible documentary. Well, not actually, it was not a terrible documentary. I was watching a documentary, but it was like, you know, it was, oh, excuse me, it was happy, shiny people, right? About Gothardism. Um, and Gothard, the guy at the heart of Gothardism has this like whole pitch on like family life and marriage and having as many children as possible. Like this is where the quiver whole thing comes from. This is, you know, the, the thing, what gives us the Duggars, right? Do you know that at Gothard never, you know, Gothard doesn't have any children and is unmarried. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, I had that. I had that too. That, um, that does uh, not make sense. That doesn't make. You know, no, it doesn't. Right? Like, uh, what? No, it's true. Like he's unmarried and has no children. Um, and he built this whole thing about like kids, and families, and homeschooling. Um, and it's this whole like movement, right, that produces nineteen kids and counting. Uh, where nineteen kids and counting ends up like the PR arm for Gothardism. And like. I sit here, I and sit even here, I go, even like, I, go, like, you know, I, theoretical, theoretical, theoretically a Christian. Theoretically a Christian. Um, um, Christian. It's fine. It's fine. Um, um, look at that and go. That and go. No, wait, what? no, wait, what? So then, like, so then, like, like you literally, you, literally are, are, you don't practice. You don't practice like, what? What? Right? How is that? And then you get the weird, have you, speaking of documentaries, have you watched the weird documentary, Our Father, where they are no, producing I, children, I, but I, they are I, not... Raising said children, it's yeah. through like fertility yeah. clinics as a whole other moral dilemma that the right. world has created because right. there's weird gray areas in the law. So yeah, I just I I I don't I don't ever want to come off as judgmental. Although you know we all have our crosses to bear, but like, and I don't want to be 
like a high, like there's always room for forgiveness, right? Like when we we're going, when we stumble, we're going to stumble and there's forgiveness there. Right. Um, but or else but, we're all sunk. We're else we're all sunk. We're all done, right? Like you know, we, last week we talked about. You need God's grace. You absolutely need God's grace. And so I don't want to be like, therefore, morally strive. And every, you know, I, this is you know the the logical extent of what to this logic, if you take it too far, is the Puritans, right? Where everyone is watching everyone else to make sure they don't sin, right? Like th- th- this is you know this is where you put le- you know red letter A's on Hester, right? Like this is I, I don't want to. Opposite extremes sin greatly so that grace may abound. By no means. Right. Yeah. It's great. I literally had a, uh, um, we, we, uh, we called it sin boldly. Um, it was great. Um, it's a good show. Um, but like, I don't, there is grace and we're going to mess it up, but we also have to understand that though we are partly responsible for the world as it exists. And how we as Christians have practiced our, like, we're really good at blaming evil. We love to blame evil. And, like, evil's a thing, right? Evil bad. But, like, also some of what, to me, creates a rapidly secularizing world is they look at us and they go, no. And it's not the, like, our, like, Christian, like, the, so often it is not our teaching on like loving your neighbor um, or even like moderation or like, you know, belief in a higher power, right? Like we're at a real high watermark for things like horoscopes, right? Like, you know, like a spiritual element to the universe is not the thing that people are struggling with. A lot of it is like we made some very specific behavioral claims and then we didn't live up to them. Um, and then we kept not living up to them and we kept not apologizing. Um, anyway, like it all, like we, part of how we get to a world where fewer and fewer and fewer people believe in God, I am convinced it's been Christian behavior for the past thousand years. It's that old, you know, DC talk has the, the track on Jesus freak of the, the greatest, uh, contributor to atheism in the world is Christians. Yeah, right. Or they're, they're <laughs> who profess they're Jesus Christ with their mouth, but then go out and live a completely different lifestyle. Um, we we are the problem. Or the not or the not a Gandhi quote. Like apparently, every once in a while, every year or so, I bring up this quote and I have to research it. And Gandhi didn't. We don't think Gandhi actually said this, but it is still true. Even if Gandhi didn't say it, I love your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Right. Fair <laughs> enough. Gandhi. Like fair enough. Fair enough. Whoever did say that. Word, word. I also um, have like I have those thoughts of like yes, people. We are all choosing. It is not God that is saying you will be rocky soil or you will be whatever. Um, but God's followers, Christians, do contribute to whether folks want this to sink into their lives or not because they look at like, not just like, you know, are you living a happier life? Um, Cause happy can be faked as a person who lives with chronic depression. I can tell you happy can be faked, but like, is it, you know, are we practicing what we preach? Right. Have ye right. fruit Have ye would fruit. be the yeah, question. Yeah. You know, yeah. are we actually producing a fruit? 
um, in our garden, in our healthy soil. Because you can have, again, you can have the green shoots, like Anthony yeah. said. You can produce yeah. the plant and not produce the healthy fruit that you are trying for in your garden if you don't have that good, actually healthy root and healthy soil, um, that healthy foundation that we all need as Christians. Yeah. We'll take a break here and be back and talk a little bit about uh, how to re- our experience in how to restart a church. And we're back. Someday there may be like ads that play this in this grand goal that we have. There, there may be advertising that or something. If you're interested in sponsoring us, let us know. We have room for advertising space. The the truth is we just, we want that, like, we want this to become a ministry that can sustain itself. And so, yes, you know, we have, I am not against advertising. Uh, You know, by all means, let me, let me talk to you about your energy drinks or whatever. No idea. Food delivery. It's usually food. It's food delivery services and hosting sites, right? And mattresses. Um, These are, these are all podcast advertising. Um, But we can, you know, part of what we do here on the show is this segment that we're in now called how to restart a church. Um, And, we picked this name because this is what we do. Like, this is what, like, our day jobs, um, you know, the Anthony had internet problems, which is why he disappeared at some point. But the, the three of us are are involved in restarting a church. And so we want to talk about, in some ways, like, what we're learning, but also, like, you know, what we still don't understand. And, and anyways, what what we have been learning... Um, in how to research church is is a lot about it's a lot about buildings. I have learned more about real estate in the past year of my life than I, I, I ever and I was like already like built buildings and sold properties. Um, but so anyways, a little bit of our history is um, I'm actually the only one physically here, but like we exist in a like piece of giant 1960s architecture. Um, right on a major highway um, in Houston, Texas. Uh, we are like literally, it's not like close to a highway. We're like on the feeder road of a highway. Um, if you live in a state that doesn't have feeder roads, I don't know what to tell you. Um, we are right like, you know, you you can like not just see the highway, you can hear the highway from my office window. Um, and we were put here at this, we're literally, Houston has, uh, you know, we're literally the intersection of two Monopoly streets. So we are at the intersection of Broadway and Park Place. It's literally the two roads that we were on. Um, and we were, were here. I mean, some version of this congregation has been here for like 90 years. But why we became this like giant piece of church architecture that stretches 40 feet into the sky um, and seats 1,200 people is because we really thought that, like, that's what was going to work for church. And what we've learned in Houston um, is that, like, everyone gets one of these. <laughs> um, every denomination can have, like, one church that is like this. Um, but we, our church didn't, the demographics in the neighborhood changed. Like, white flight happened. And uh, our church is very much a victim of the, like, literally the end of the space race. Um, like that is like a, the end of the space race is a major event in the life of our church because the NASA money that was here dried up, um, in the early seventies when we stopped going to the moon 
as a national quest. And, and yet here we still are, here in this, like, you know, you can see the, if, if you're on the video version, you can see the wood paneling behind me. Um, it's beautiful. It's throughout our entire building. Um, and we're here in this. Plush carpeting this. there, too. You can oh, see the carpeting oh. in the background of your yes. shot. Yes, and probably. Very, very plush. Probably can smell it because it is original to the building. Um, you know, uh, this carpet could retire. This carpet should retire and is of legal retirement age. Um, you know, for a, for a nice early retirement, this carpet is 63 years old. Um, and, and we're very visible. Like a million people a day drive by our church. We're on, we're on I-45, which is one of the main, you're, if you don't know Houston, Texas, like it's one of the main arteries and we're just outside of downtown, right? Anytime I say where we are, people say, oh, I've driven by there. And I say, oh, that's the problem. Um, and so how we are talking about church restarting is actually about changing our physical space, which sounds crazy, right? Because we're planted in what like very traditionally sounds like a very strategic location. We're on a highway. We have a 40-foot tower in the sky. We have a digital sign. Um, we have all of the like traditional trappings of being an incredibly visible church. Million people a day drive by. And yet we do not get a lot of random visitors, right? This was one of those like you would think, right, that like, you know, coming from a small town where Emily and I served previously, right, like you'd think like, hey, great location. So a lot of people just like wander in, right? Nope. Doesn't happen. <laughs> and part of what the conversation we've been having is, over a year and, and as we move forward is like, why? Why does no one come in? What about this physical object that we have is leading it to, it was built to be, it was built to be a physical methodology for evangelism, right? Why do churches have steeples? So that people can see it from far away. Right. It is not actually some like so you can like feel closer to God or no, it is literally so that like, you know, back in the day, it's the billboard. It's a pretty. It's a pretty billboard. Um, same with bells. Right. Like there's nothing particularly sacred about we don't have bells, but like uh, this is the same with bells. Right. It's just advertising. It's evangelism. It's advertising. It's marketing um, to pick what you like. Right. Um, but like it is it doesn't like. For decades, and certainly for now, like we are thinking about like not just physically smaller spaces, but spaces tucked off into neighborhoods, um, letting go of this like giant strategically located physical object. There's, you know, we were talking earlier about how the Holy Spirit is still at work and how we need to be able to respond to that, how we need to be open to the innovation of God, to the creativity of God, um, and realizing that the way that we did it 60, 70 years ago is not the only way to do it, um, that there are more ways to do church other than this big, huge God box yeah. with a steeple and the, it's beautiful. The, the church is beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous architecture. Um, but it is empty. It is empty. 
it is empty. You know, in um, I spent some time in Central and South America, and they have beautiful cathedrals. I mean, gold inlays, and the statues of the saints are just they are artwork. They're beautiful. They're gorgeous, and they're empty. And there are people on the steps starving. Yeah. That is just a picture to me of, are we going to become that? Are we going to be these big empty cathedrals with the church outside waiting to be served? You know, are we going to actually respond to the Holy Spirit and be the church or are we going to be stuck in our God boxes? Well, and like one of the, th- one of the reasons, you know, to be whatever I, you know, Hopefully, I will learn over time. I'm the logistics guy, right? And so from a logistics perspective, one of the reasons why we're letting go of the God box is I can't afford to fix it, right? This is a beautiful God box um, uh, that's busted, right? This is a busted God box. Um, It needs like three quarters of a million dollars worth of work, something like, you know, a king's ransom. And, you know, if we were just like absolutely knocking it out of the park. And like, this was just being this like huge engine of like spiritual growth. Cool. Okay. Things are worth money. Things got, you know, if I've learned anything in ministry, it's just things cost money, but we're not going to do that because Cause think of how much good we could yeah. do with that three quarters of a million dollars elsewhere in the world. How much could God do if we were willing to, um, submit to what God wanted us to do, to the movement of the Holy Spirit but, in the rest of but, the world, tucked away in a neighborhood somewhere or online in a yeah, digital right, platform. Yeah, yeah, that right, costs a yeah. whole lot less, right? Right. On a podcast, for example. Our whole studio and everything is, we got a $10,000 grant and that bought, uh, between that and gear that I had accumulated over the years, there's a lot of my gear in this, um, we built this thing, Right. Um, and, and trying to make it worthwhile too, but like the overhead for an online ministry, the overhead f- and, and like, we're, we're a church of a hundred people trying to exist in a space built for a thousand, right? We don't even, we can't even use the main sanctuary cause it's unair conditioned. And currently right now the heat index is 115. What's the, this is really great radio. I know, um, the heat index today is drum roll 108, right? Right, and so like we can't use an unair conditioned space in Houston, Texas, in twenty twenty three, but also like it is. I think of like what, like why is it broken? Uh, what wh- why like how how did how did that happen? It didn't happen by like it, it didn't happen all at once. It is because this shape of object didn't work out or it worked out for a season right but that season ended at some point but we get so attached to our ideas of this is what a church looks like Mm -hmm. right it's a here's the church here's the steeple open it up see all the people well no the the people were the church to begin with it was not your building it was not your god box it was not this is the lies we tell children right um the the, you know sticks and stones may make my bones and words will never hurt me well that's a lie um always has been um and then also here is the church nope the church is the people here is the church no this is the church the church is the people the church has always been the people right because we're trying to do a different thing right like we are not trying to just be you know let's replicate 
what we've been doing and let's just do it mildly better. We don't, frankly, we don't have the money for it. Um, you know, we, we're planted in a place where like, you know, there is any mega church is with an easy, both. If you want high production mega church, there's some of the most high production in the country. Um, very short drive. Um, from us. Joel Osteen Ministries is just up the road. It's on another highway that is connected to our highway, right? Um, and frankly, we've been in this spot longer than uh, when long before he bought the basketball stadium. Um, and, you know, they built that ministry um, not on them. It was just tucked off, tucked off in a neighborhood. Um, or if you want, like, you know, big steeple of any denomination, that's available to you Again, short drive from us, right? On a Sunday morning, I could be at every denomination's big steeple within 15 minutes um, of where we are right now. And they're all kind of clustered in around the Houston's Museum District is home to most of those kind of big steeply. Your first Presbyterians where my child goes, my son goes to Cub Scouts or, you know, St. Paul's United Methodist Church, which, you know, is in our denomination. And so simply just doing that again but less funded it makes sense but doesn't make sense but also just like this look it didn't work right like all the logic of the time said it should work and i worked for a while but like in the living memory of this congregation is the story of the day jf the soon after jfk was assassinated was the time that this building was the fullest in 1963 right and it was like before oh, either of us were born. Yeah, like by a long shot. And you're older than me. <laughs> we're so stuck on the idea of, but this is what it looks like. This is the way we've always done it. That it it's hard to bring innovation to something that is so institutionalized these days. Um, you know, we were talking about soil analogies earlier. There's this really great analogy up here. Are you familiar with salt cedars? No, I am not. Okay, so salt cedars are a type of cedar tree that grows along waterways, and they suck up all the water. They're made to do so. But they have this really interesting mechanism by which they crowd out other plants and become a monoculture. When they drop their leaves, they actually change the pH of the soil around them to make it inhospitable for anything else to grow so that nothing can compete with it so that they are the only thing growing so they very quickly become a nuisance a monoculture they i mean up here in this part of texas the panhandle of texas they have to work very hard to eradicate them because they will take the entire water source which in a desert is a very big big problem for the local wildlife that was trying to thrive there for the original ecosystem but do we you know have those places in our lives, in our institution of the church, um, where the ground has been poisoned for innovation, where anything that you try to do that is not what looks like we've always done it before becomes impossible. There's not even a place to plant a seed for that innovation, for that movement of the Holy Spirit to respond to, you know, where God might be calling you next, which doesn't look like what you were doing before. Well, my... My brother's an economist, and so in the in, there's the economic theory of the sunk cost fallacy, right? That like you, like you cannot make economic decisions if you're being a rational economic actor. Um, 
you don't make economic decisions based on what you've already spent on it, <laughs> right? Like, uh, you know, uh, well, we, you know, we've built this, we've built this giant thing. We have a, we have, and this is true, a one million dollar pipe organ inside our building. It's actually just on the other side of that wall. It's the infrastructure for our. What I am told is a one million dollar pipe organ. Now that is now, now not air conditioned and so now no longer functional. What, no, even heard, if you had, I've heard it work. Now, does it sound right? No, but it does power on and make rumbling noises. Um, we used it for a wedding back in April. This is uh, remarkable. Uh, it's a very hardy thing, this million-dollar pipe organ. Um, but no, those seals cannot be in good shape, right? Like, things get warped. This is the, Pipe organs are giant machines um, that probably needed air conditioning. Um, and ours is not and hasn't been for over, you know, I guess I said it was two years when I got here, and so three years now. Um, it hasn't been air conditioned in over three years. And, and so we've sunk a, both physical and, like, emotional. Like, this is... Beautiful object, beautiful object. Um, and our core pitch on restarting this church is we're going to go do things that look smaller and less fancy. That maybe folks for whom a giant, what I will always call a giant cathedral shaped object, right? Um, there are plenty of people for whom that works, and those exist. You want that, and you're listening to us? Cool. I bet you found it. I bet you found that. And if not, they're around. There are, you know, in this, you know if you're listening in Houston, there are literal cathedrals. There are a couple, three of them. Three of them? Orthodox. We got an Orthodox. We got a, we got a co-cathedral for the Catholics, and we got an Episcopal cathedral. We got at least three cathedrals um and then each denomination has theirs and or each non-denomination right we have some uh, some beautiful non-denoms too so we got joel Osteen's up the road right you know if i liked sweating more i could walk there be bad walk it's it's across three highways to get there but like (laughs) physically you can walk there from here um you die either from traffic or heat exhaustion. But I mean, you also mentioned the the sentimental side of it. And and that is hard to leave behind because, you know, grandma's estate paid for that million dollar organ or or something. You know, there there is a sentimentality to the way things once were in the 60s as well. I get that. Um, But you can have that and still innovate and still be willing to move forward with the the work of the Holy Spirit. Or at least approach it on a church-by-church basis, right? Like, what makes sense for this group of people in this mission field in this time, right? Um, St. Paul's UMC. Um, We'll talk about some just because I have a weird insight into how they run. My best friend is on their trustees team. Um, And, like, I— you know, the, 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 they employ a lot of 30-something United Methodist pastors. And so, I, you know, I just get an insight into its operation. But, like, they're at a place where, like, they need to they, – they invested a lot of money in building preservation. And for them, being this quite literally cathedral – you know, it's a kind of a neo – it's a Gothic revival thing. Uh, it's beautiful. 
right? And they're right across the street from the art museum. And that's a part of how they're able to do ministry is they have the music to go along with it and the pipe organ to go along with it. That if that model of church is the model that feeds your soul, and, and, and it works, right? And so for them, that, like, preserving, like, a, a historicity, sure. That's mission. That is an innovation in itself. Preserving the history is their innovation. Right. That is right. their movement of the Holy Spirit. That is where they are being fed spiritually. Right. And so, like, if that's, this is, you know, I, I this is, this is not a one size fits all thing, right? We can't just, you know, all build family life centers and, you know, the Gen Xers just show up or whatever idea we had, whatever, like. And it's not an argument for contemporary versus traditional even. It's just an argument for making sure that you are responding to what the needs are of your community. It's an argument for if you need to get out of the walls of your church to get out of the walls, walls of, of your church, church and your do church. something differently. Right. Um, to not be right. so attached to the way things were, to not be so attached to the building that you forget that the church is not the building. Right. Or that there is, or, 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 or attached to the idea that there is a plan. Right. I think what, you know, if we're going to reach the 21st century, it is not about like, you know, burn down all the cathedrals and open coffee shops. Right. Even as like we're trying to open a coffee shop. Right. Like, you know, this is a, you know, this can, you know, I think for a long time it was abandon the urban core and go build churches in the suburbs. And that has its own weird, complicated, and racially charged history um, that, like, we're caught up into. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's, like, important to understand that part of what happened here is the neighborhood changed ethnically. And this church did not change ethnically. Um, And, 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 you know, and... I, I, I certainly wasn't alive when this started and I've only been here for a year. And so I can't begin to pull on all of those threads, but like we are church built at a scale for a certain group of people who then stopped living in the area. And then we didn't become for whatever reason. And again, I can't, there's a lot um, that didn't continue. Right. And so, but it is like just recognizing that, you know, for us as we think about buildings, like we're going to do the thing that like sounds crazy, which is we're going to let go of a really giant, you know, we have every church room we could ever need. We have one of them all. We have caught them all. We have the one, the Pokemon of church built church rooms. I have a the choir, library, choir the room, choir room. room, which is now this studio. Um, we have a pastor's office. Uh, we have a youth room. We have a parlor, parlor. and a chapel the parlor. and That's a sanctuary, sanctuary and an activities building uh, complete with a gym. Uh, yeah. Um, we don't have something called a fellowship hall. I realized we don't have we have an activities building. But we don't also have a fellowship hall. If we were true, that's the one Pokemon we're missing is we don't have a fellowship hall. We only have an activities building, um, you know, but we used to have a whole other building that I think had a fellowship hall and it got torn down. Um, I think we used to have them all. Um, and then through building attrition, lost some of them. But we're going to do this like, you know, we're setting up, a, you know, it's a, 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 prayerfully a series of moves that is. 
letting go of we're going to let go of a building on a major highway a giant building on a major highway and we're going to call it church growth progress mm-hmm. um because for us or we're going to build something digitally yeah. and call that yeah. church, church growth progress. Progress. You know, we can't yeah. measure that you know it's hard to measure this well you get i guess you measure it differently because there's not a building there's not a building People are logging on, not sitting in a pew. Um, and so, you know, what do you do? How do you call this, you know, ministry to people who don't understand digital ministry? How do you um, get the church to see that there is church here as well as where we're going outside of a building? And that's probably as good a place as any to put a pin in this. Hopefully in, in future episodes, we're going to talk a lot more about kind of alternate church space as we are like we currently don't have it and that is the like the thread that we're pulling on is for our church a cathedral shaped object is not the thing that has is bearing fruit for us now and so it's figuring out what shape of object right and 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 what what things do you put in that object um to hopefully tell folks who currently don't to message to folks who currently don't think this is a space for them, that this is definitely a space for them. Um, so thank you so much for joining us in this episode, and, and hopefully uh, you continue with us as we continue on our journey. We would love your voice to be in this show. Um, and so you can email your feedback on churches or scripture or anything we talk about. Um, or if you have questions, uh, email us at podcast at servantsnow.org. That's podcast at servantsnow.org. Um, this show gets posted a lot of places. It shows up in an audio version in your podcatcher of choice. Um, it's up on our YouTube channel. Um, it is up on our website, uh, servantsnow.org. Um, this show and everything uh, that we do here um, digitally at Servants of Christ is a product of the Servants Now Media Lab at Servants of Christ. You know, I met this parish um, deep in the heart of Southeast Houston. Um, we are made possible by an innovators grant by the Texas Annual Conference, of the United Methodist Church, um, and the support of congregations and anyone else who wants to kick in. Um, and so if you are interested in finding out anything more about what we do, um, either here in the Media Lab or uh, generally, just go to servantsnow.org. Check us out. Um, there is a lot going on um, all of the time. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you here next time. Thank you.